Good morning, everybody. Again, welcome to Fresh Vision Church here in El Paso, Texas. If you have any questions, any comments that you want to make, please feel free to leave them in the comment section. Again, either on Facebook or on uh, YouTube. Uh, we, uh, we welcome those. If you need prayer requests, you can do that there as well. We also want to invite you to our website. You can go there by going to fvcelp.org. Whether it's uh, COVID guidelines, statement of faith, a little history about ourselves, um, you'll find the information there. On the homepage as well, you'll find the address for our church, uh, prayer request section. If you need any prayer, uh, that'll be sent to me via email privately. No one else will get it, and I'll respond to you as, as soon as possible. Uh, we want to know how you've been blessed if this ministry has blessed you. So please feel free to reach out to us and let us know. Uh, we don't have a formal offering here. Put whatever the Lord's putting your heart in, inside that box there. Also, um, there's another option, and you can do that through PayPal. And uh, we have a link on our homepage as well where you can give that way. Um, but again, no obligation. We want you to do that willingly out of the joy of your heart just want to give you an update. We are going to have a Christmas Eve service. So if you're in town, if you're here in the Northeast, we welcome you. Uh, we want you to come join us for that Christmas Eve service. It's going to be here at uh, Fresh Vision Church at 4242 Hondo Pass Drive, Suite 101. And that's going to be at 6 p.m. So again, Christmas Eve service, Thursday, I believe it's Thursday, right? Thursday the 24th at 6 p.m. All right, so this morning, I've asked, again, Mr. Richard Herod to come teach this morning. Um, I believe he has a fresh uh, word from the Lord. Um, I hope that you're blessed as he delivers this message. Richard, it's all yours. You can go ahead and take it. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to be back here. Good to see everyone, those of you who are in the room with us right now. And those of you who are joining us online, I just want to say good morning to each and every one of you. I wanted to say to each and every one of you who are joining us online, if you've been here before, we miss you. And we hope that everything is well and we're praying for you. And um, we know that God is um, taking care of you. And we look forward to that day that you get to come back and that we get fellowship once again. Um, just know that you're thought of and prayed for. And um, at least several times a week we come together and we say, hey, Let's catch up with this person or that person, make sure they're okay. Just know that we're praying for you. Before we begin, I just wanted to take this moment to, to pray for our service this morning. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and to just spend some time learning of you and worshiping you and, and focusing on you, Father God. And so before we continue, we ask that you just prepare our hearts and minds to hear from you. Um, Father God, I ask that you would just move me out of the way and that you would use me as your conduit that you would um, use me as your microphone to speak uh, the message that you have for all of us, Father God. Um, thank you for speaking to me as I prepared, Father God, and I thank you that you continue to speak to all of us. And um, we thank you for the reminders that we need to abide in you. And so, Father God, we lift up this time to you. We dedicate it to you. We ask that you just um, speak to us and inform us and transform us during this time, Father God, so that way we can continue living our lives for you and that we can seek to glorify you. We lift this up to you in your son's name. Amen. So today's passage is from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And um, today's message is simply entitled, Abiding in Him. 
So the main idea of today's lesson is that as uh, believers truly and fully surrender to him, our relationship with Christ is characterized um, by abiding in him. Through this mutual um, relationship, as we are one with God in Christ, not only do we see spiritual fruit, but we also remain connected with our brothers and sisters who in faith are also abiding in him. So according to the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, the word abide simply means to rest or dwell, to tarry or stay, to remain or continue. So in the Bible, the idea of abiding in him refers to maintaining fellowship with Christ. Bible scholar Gregory Smith reminds us that the abiding in him refers to the notions of staying, standing fast, remaining, and enduring. Smith continues to remind us that by abiding in him, this creates a mutual union where the believer abides in Christ, and Christ abides in the believer, and that abiding entails obedience to Christ's teachings as one allows the word to abide in them. But before I begin with today's passage, please allow me this opportunity to briefly review previous messages that we've shared before, to make those connections between those messages and today's passage, and to provide a brief historical overview of the book of John. Um, throughout the history of Fresh Vision Church, I believe that the message of the cross has been shared consistently and in a way that seeks to honor God's command to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So in previous messages, the fundamental truths of the cross have been shared and explained, and I believe that many have responded in faith. Praise God for that, and we're thankful. It must also be said that the fundamental truths of the cross are best understood in the context of God's creation. So according to Genesis chapter 1, the origins of humankind come from God's creation over six days. And through his creation, God created the heavens, the earth, light, the sky, seas, land, plants, the sun, the moon, the stars, animals, and humankind. So in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 15, God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Further in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, God took one of Adam's ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says um, that God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. In Genesis chapter 3, while in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve influenced, were influenced by the serpent instead of following God's instruction. They disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the consequences were monumental. According to Genesis chapter 3, humankind was separated from God because of this. In verse 23 of chapter 3, it says that the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken, resulting in separation from him. And we are reminded that in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says that therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death was spread to all people because all sinned. All have sinned. So in previous messages, we learned that there is no one righteous, not even one. 
We learned that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we learned that there is nothing we can do to fix our own sin nature. And we also learned that there is nothing we can do to earn our way to God's favor. We can't do anything to get God's acceptance through any works that we do or living what many would call good lives. Um, in these previous messages that we've learned here before, we learned that before Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that atonement for sins involved this elaborate system of priestly sacrifices. So as Old Testament scholar Eugene Merrill indicated, the ruptured fellowship between himself and humanity could be restored or be at one again. Merrill further reminds us that while animals served as those provisional sacrifices for human sins during the Old Testament era, they could not ultimately atone for humans. Humanity needed one of their own, one who knew no sin, to stand in and take the punishment that is due to all sinners. In previous messages, we also learned that Jesus had been promised throughout the Old Testament. And Merrill indicates in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that is the first prophetic glimpse at God's final solution to this need and hints at the central role that Jesus plays in that solution, asserting that the need, I'm sorry, the seed of the woman would be crushed, but that he in turn would crush the head of the serpent, achieving victory over sin and death. In previous messages, we learned about Jesus. In chap Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we are reminded that the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Further in that chapter, verse 25, we're reminded that Mary gave birth to a son conceived by the Holy Spirit named Jesus. This is what we're celebrating during this season. We know that while on earth, Jesus, God's son, God the son, was God in the flesh. We know that while Jesus was on earth, he was sinless because he is fully God. We know that Jesus performed signs and miracles while on earth. And we know that while on earth, Jesus taught his followers much about living for him, trusting him, and abiding in him as we live for his glory. We also know that through Jesus, or I'm sorry, that through Judas's betrayal and through the denial of who he is, he was crucified at Calvary. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 through 6 reminds us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared over five, to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. We know because of Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John chapter 3 verses 16 through 17 tells us that God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the good news. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that true salvation comes when a person truly turns away from their sin, truly believes that Christ died on the cross for their sins, and trusts Christ. By turning away from sin and turning toward Christ, we experience his mercy, resulting in an eternity with him instead of an eternity spent apart from him. We've learned um, from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, that once we are saved, transformation happens. In the moment that we're saved, instantaneous transformation takes place. And an example of this is when the Holy Spirit indwells us upon salvation. 
in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, we're reminded that as we receive the spirit of truth, that spirit of truth will remain with us and in us. A couple of weeks ago, we also learned that transformation happens over time. As born-again believers, we're saved by God's grace, and in our surrendered state, he transforms us over time. And much of this comes as we wait upon him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 reminds us that those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And so much of this comes as we trust him more and more and more, having seen just how merciful he really is. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 reminds us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Much of this comes as we trust him during trials, seeing later how he uses everything for his benefit. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Much of this transformation comes as we submit to him time after time after time, even when it's difficult or even when he's asking us to surrender something in our flesh that we really don't want to give up. Much of this comes when things don't appear to be going so well on the surface, but he's working in the background, perfecting the situation to bring himself glory. Much of this happens when things are, um, aren't going well because he's working in us. And we're supposed to consider these times a great joy because when we experience various trials, we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And endurance is the ability to endure those trials and to continue following him. He produces patience within us because that's what's necessary to wait on him rather than living in a way that doesn't honor him. This process helps us develop faith because we, um, as we develop faith, we know without a shadow of a doubt that no matter what happens, the Lord knows what he's doing and he's using that circumstance to bring honor and glory to himself and accomplish transformation within us to the point that we're bowing down in complete surrender. And this is the process through which the Lord perfects us and we become more Christ-like because we want our Savior glorified and we develop the desire to please him and him alone. Not perfect because we're not. We know that mankind's fallen, but perfected because of his mercy and his grace. So a couple of weeks ago, we also learned that we're part of something bigger, that upon salvation, we are now a part of the body of Christ, which exists to bring glory to God and to serve according to his will. We learn that God gives each of us gifts so we can serve him within the body of Christ. And as we serve within the body of Christ, we work according to his will in collaboration with each other to serve God's purposes of spreading the gospel in helping each other as we follow him. And that we're not to use these gifts in any way to harm another or dishonor God, but in ways that encourage each other to honor the Lord. Simply stated, we're being equipped to serve him. And as we become saved, are transformed and brought to the place where we surrender everything to him, uh, so we can be used to his purposes, he reveals our gifting so that we can use them for the benefit of his kingdom. I submit to you, therefore, that the Lord is the one who transforms us, who perfects us, and is the one who equips us for his pleasure. He does all of this with the Holy Spirit living within us and as we abide in him. Evidence of the Holy Spirit within us is the outpouring of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control generated by the Holy Spirit, which comes from him 
not manufactured by ourselves to earn favor or merit, but it serves to please and glorify God. So the process of abiding in him is described in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Um, I'd like to provide just a, a brief historical background of the book of John, so that way we can put everything in context. The New Testament book of John was most likely written some, by um, the Apostle John sometime between A.D. 65 and 95. And so it's believed by some biblical scholars that, that John was one of the last surviving eyewitnesses of the Lord and that the book of John was written while John was in Ephesus. Some biblical scholars believe that, John was, um, that the book of John was primarily written for both Gentile unbelievers and for Gentile Christians who are facing persecution. And the book begins with the declaration of Jesus as the word of God and the declaration of Jesus' deity as the son of God. Throughout this, um, throughout this gospel, we see descriptions of Jesus' early ministry, of signs and wonders of Jesus, and the resistance that Jesus experienced while walking on this earth. Throughout this gospel, we also see how Jesus prepares the disciples for his upcoming departure, his arrest, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. And many of the things that he spoke during that time to the disciples apply to us today. So our passage for today comes from a portion that focuses on preparing the disciples for his departure and preparing us to stay connected to Christ because we need him. So let's now turn to today's passage. That's John chapter 15. We'll be starting at verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So we'll take an opportunity right now to go through those first eight verses. And after I go through an explanation of those first eight verses, we'll talk about how this applies to us today, right now, in contemporary society, as we walk following him. So in the first verse, Jesus provides us a basic understanding of abiding in him. A key and crucial component of abiding in him is what God's role is in all of it. The father is the gardener, the cultivator, the sharpener, the shaper, the one who tends to care for the branches of his vine. And if anyone's ever cared for any plants, you know that there are steps that you have to take in order to maximize the growth of that plant. I think about my own dad. Uh, he was an avid gardener throughout his lifetime. Um, he took great joy in teaching my family what he knew about gardening. He was so passionate about gardening, even to his last day, there were plants in his backyard growing and producing fruit. And I think back to all that he taught us about caring for those tomato plants. Um, you had to shield the plant from wind. You had to make sure the plants didn't get too cold or too hot. You had to use stakes to support the plant as it grew. You had to remove suckers to prevent nutrients from going to the wrong parts of the plant. 
You had to remove tomato worms even to prevent them from devouring the plants. You had to water in a certain way so that those roots would grow deep. And you had to cultivate the soil to make sure that the, the maximum amount of nutrients would go into the plant. You also had to make sure that you pulled weeds and other plants that were nearby so that way it didn't rob nutrients from the tomato plant growing. So as I think about this and as we look at the first verse, we're reminded that Jesus is the vine through which the branches receive nutrients. As I studied for today, I was reminded that Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 38, that if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. And as branches of the vine, we receive our nourishment from the vine, which prompts our growth in him. Thomas Constable breaks it down. Jesus contrasted himself as the true vine. He would produce good fruit as God intended. No vine could produce good fruit unless it's good stock. The father dresses the vine as a farmer cultivates his vineyard. No vine will produce good fruit unless someone who is competent cares for it. Verse 2. This is a, a verse that requires a little bit, of, um, a little bit more detailed explanation. Um, the first thing that I noticed as I was preparing for this morning is that it says it begins with every branch in me. I believe that when Jesus refers to every branch in me, he's speaking about believers who are genuine, those who I described in previous messages completely sold out to him, those who've turned away from their sin and who have turned toward um, Christ in complete belief that Jesus' death on the cross atones for their sins and they are thus following him and allowing him to lead their lives. These are the ones that are abiding in him. So the second thing to notice um, as this verse describes branches in him that uh, do not produce fruit. Um, in previous messages, we learned about the fruit that emerges as a result of abiding in him. And that fruit comes from someone who has the Holy Spirit within. And what manifests as a result is biblical love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some biblical scholars would go further and say that Fruit would be every kind of benefit that the Christian demonstrates, including tangible ministry results and fruit from discipleship and evangelistic efforts. Uh, we're also reminded from previous messages that some transformation in believers happen instantaneously and that some happens over time so that a new believer may be one where fruit is not as visible because the Lord is still working in their hearts and orchestrating such transformations. In these cases, his fruit will manifest itself over time as the Lord continues to work in that person. Verse 2 overall indicates that the Lord provides care to the branches. But regarding branches that do not produce fruit, um, I, I must point out that some differences in thought exist among the biblical scholars regarding what this verse is saying. When a person is reading this verse for the first time, some might think that um, it says when, the, when it says that the Lord removes branches that do not produce fruit, it means physical removal. I don't necessarily believe that's the only thing being said, that branches do, that do not produce fruit are immediately physically removed. First, this verse specifically points out branches in him. And I believe that this has been established, that being in him means, being, means that a true believer is abiding in him. I do think that it's very important, though, to point out that the Bible was not originally written in English, and that English translations of the original Greek differ or result in differing views on translation. So what I'm going to do, since I am not a Greek scholar, I'm going to share what I discovered as I prayed over this verse and as I consulted several different sources 
and ask the Lord to bring biblical meaning to all of us. So let's first look at the King James Version or the King James Translation, the New King James Translation of the Bible, which says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, while stating in the footnotes, lifting up could be substituted for what is said when, take, when, when the words take away are in that passage. The New International Version says, Cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. The English Standard Version says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And the footnotes in that Bible emphasize Matthew chapter 15, verse 13, which says plants not planted by the Father will be rooted out. Warren Wiersbe's New, Te New Testament commentary emphasizes the role of vine dresser, purging or pruning branches so that they'll produce more fruit. And in Thomas Constable's commentary, Constable refers to the parable of the sower when he says that Jesus taught that some believers in him do not bear fruit and that there are some branches that presently bear no fruit, but are growing stronger so they can bear fruit in the future. Uh, Constable further explains that the Greek word translates into remove, or that is translated into remove in the second verse, could also mean take away or lift up. Um, I also looked at Bruce Wilk Wilkinson's Secret of the Vine, a book published several years ago. His explanation was similar to Constable's interpretation. He further illustrated the caregiving actions of a gardener, lifting up, cleaning, and tying the part of the plant that has fallen to a trellis so that they can thrive. In Matthew Henry's commentary, Henry describes the difference between those who are generally who are genuinely abiding in him and those who have made a profession of faith but are not truly abiding in him. Henry indicates that the branch not bearing any fruit may be the result of someone who's made a profession of faith, but they're not genuine in that profession. So the, you can see there's a lot of varying thought um, I'm inclined to believe that the references to branches that produce no fruit but are genuinely in him would lead to special caretaking by the gardener due to some circumstance that is impeding the process of bearing fruit. I think of an example that's provided in Bruce Wilkinson's Secret of the Vine. He refers to a lady who was overwhelmed and overcome with unforgiveness in her heart, and that got in the way of abiding in Christ. Her growth and relationship in him was impeded. But once she confessed that sin and the Lord healed her of that hurt, her fruit became evident. I also think of someone who's already in Christ but had a traumatic experience in their life and they need time for the Lord to work in them to heal, to forgive, and to be made ready to be used for his purposes once again. I personally am an example of that type of situation. I think of seasons where the Lord re-equips someone to serve him in a different capacity, a season that requires retooling and study, this in itself being its own type of pruning. In some cases, this process could be painful or result in removal of parts that threaten the health of the branch or the vine. I'm also inclined to believe that references to nearby branches that are not a part of the vine, but who are attached by tethering and produce no fruit and are not genuinely in him, they're removed by a caretaker who protects his own. So this notion of, pr of pruning so that fruit um, producing branches will produce more fruit further indicates the Lord's special care of his people and belief that this could also indicate removal of parts that once removed will increase the quantity and the quality of the fruit produced. I think of times when the Lord has removed someone from my life that they weren't necessarily bad, but they did get in the way of us drawing closer to him. I think about the times that the Lord closed doors on opportunities in my own life where I thought I really want to go that direction. But in hindsight, I see something that would have represented me going away from the Lord. I think of other times where I didn't understand why the Lord pruned some area of my life, 
rather than, and then later on I found out that he used that particular situation to steer me away from harm. He is gracious even when we can't see it. So moving on to verse three, um, this refers to the results of our salvation. We've already been forgiven, those of us who are saved. And his care is provided because we are abiding in him. And as we abide in him, he continues to transform us to be more and more like his son. And we're being more equipped to be used for his purposes. The fourth verse um, continues to refer to our complete dependence on him for everything in our lives and the care we receive when we abide in him. We need his nourishment. We need his grace. We need his care. We need his mercy, his provision, his wisdom. We need his leadership, his encouragement. We need his salvation. So going into the fifth verse, we're reminded of our dependence on him because we are the branches connected to the vine. And everything we produce is because we receive nourishment and life from the vine. Throughout scripture, we're reminded that we can do nothing on our own and that our connection to him allows him to use us for his glory. There are some consequences if we don't abide in him. Looking at verse six, scripture says that we wither if we don't remain in him. So instead of growing because of his care, we wither. In the, middle, in the medical professions, this is referred to as atrophy. So regarding the health and vitality of our relationship with him, we atrophy when we don't abide in him. A direct example of this is an instant recall of scripture. In cases of atrophy, our hearts become cluttered with the cares of the world, and over time, that is what comes from our hearts when pressures affect us, not scripture. So scripture says that when we don't remain in him, as branch, we as branches are thrown aside. Scripture says that when branches are thrown aside, they're collected, then thrown into the fire. And so this is another part of today's passage um, that has differing thoughts from different biblical scholars. Matthew Henry specifically refers to the fearful state of hypocrites that are not in Christ and of apostates that abide not in Christ. They are cast forth as dry and withered branches, which are plucked off because they cumber the tree. It is just that those should, should have no benefit by Christ who think they have no need of him, and those who reject him should be rejected by him. Those who abide not in Christ shall be abandoned by him and are left to themselves. Whereas Thomas Constable um, references the process of pruning that includes the removal of unfruitful branches, as well as branches that have other serious problems. Constable further indicates that some branches who have other serious problems may be subject to premature death, but not the loss of salvation. So all of these thoughts bring up this question. If one is genuinely saved, will they experience problems staying connected to the Lord? I truly believe that it is ultimately between the Lord and his child. And we as brothers and sisters need to encourage each other on a daily basis to continually turn to Christ. So as I studied for today, I thought of the immediate consequences of not remaining in him. I know that for me, when I'm distracted, it's difficult to keep my attention on heavenly things. I know that for me personally, when I'm not abiding in him immediately, his righteousness is less obvious to me. I know that for me, when I'm not immediately abiding in him, unacceptable things become acceptable to me. And I know that for me, when I'm not immediately abiding in him, that the likelihood of strongholds, resentments, and Satan's lies becomes greater and greater and greater. This is why it's very important for us to abide in him. I'm reminded of what Pastor Isaac said during a sermon last year about the Holy Spirit leaking out of us and that, our continual, that we have a continual need to have time with the Lord so that we, we can recharge, rejuvenate, and refill the sense of his presence. 
I'm also reminded about what our own pastor says about knowing himself and knowing that he needs to fellowship with God's people, um, who we learn today should also be abiding in him and are thus receiving their nourishment from Christ because they encourage him, they help him hold, they help hold him accountable to abiding in him, and we lift each other up. We need to abide in him so that way we won't wither, and so our connection with him is not impacted. In verse 7, we're reminded that as we abide in him, he works in us and our hearts become aligned to what he wants for us and that our desires will be more closely aligned to his will. With our hearts cl closely aligned to his will, we can ask of him our requests as they are aligned to his will and he will answer them in kind. Now, it's very important to look at this particular verse with caution. There are some out there who will take this verse out of context and use it to say that the Lord is promising to grant our heart's desire, whether or not they're aligned with his will. We know that's not true because the verse doesn't say that. The verse says, as we abide in him. There are some who subscribe to a request granted theology that just because we ask for something, God's going to grant it. That's not true. What if it's against his will? There are some who will actually say that if you say a passage of scripture out loud, whether or not it's in context, you will have your wishes granted. And there are some who will even guarantee you financial success if we ask and believe in financial success. I'm here to say that the Lord will not be mocked and that the purposes of our lives is to honor him. We want to be transformed, be more and more like his son. And while the Lord grants many of the desires of our heart, it's because we're abiding in him. It's because our heart's desires are according to his will and, the, and it's for the purpose of honoring and glorifying him, not the other way around. So we have to be really careful with that. And as we abide in him, our hearts change. We're transformed. And he grants the wishes of our hearts because they're being transformed to be more and more like him. And so finally, in verse eight, we're reminded that as we abide in him, we experience true worship. And through that true worship, we develop a true appreciation for who he is and a true desire to serve him while abandoning our fleshly desires. And as we abandon those fleshly desires and allow him to consume us and to use us as he sees fit, we become his conduit for grace. His fruit manifests in our lives and we continue following him for his glory. Some would even say that this verse provides evidence of a relationship characterized by abiding in him. This includes deeper intimacy with him, sacrificial love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, deeper prayer, and an undercurrent of joy that belongs to the Lord, no matter what's going on in our lives. Even if things are going badly on the surface, we have that undercurrent of joy that the Lord is with us and he's walking through with us and he's taking care of us. And everything that's happening in our lives, he's orchestrating in a way to bring himself glory and to build us up to serve him to capacity that will benefit him. So what does this mean for all of us? I truly believe that for those of us in Christ, that the Lord is reminding us that our connection to him results from abiding in him. This is crucial, paramount, and essential to our life and faith, our life in him. So as we're being reminded that abiding in him is important, we're resting, staying, and dwelling in him as he abides in those of us who are in Christ. I truly believe that this passage reminds us of our purpose to glorify him, to be used by him, to abide in him. I truly believe that today's passage is reminding us of the mutual nature of abiding in him. Today's text reminds us that Christ also abides in us and that apart from him, we can't do anything. 
I truly believe that major aspects of our growth comes from the mutual nature of abiding in him. Um, so in today's text, reference to his care, provision, and pruning as we yield to his will and way remind us of the transformation that happens when we're living a Christ-conformed life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 reminds us that in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In today's text, we're reminded that the results of the transformation that happens when we're abiding in him are the production of his fruit. And as we abide in him, I truly believe the Lord is calling us to truly seek him for our needs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. As we abide in him, I truly believe that the Lord is calling us to truly seek him for comfort. Given the current world situation, many are going through a variety of devices for comfort, some subtle, and the examples are numerous. Um, let me give you an example. When things are tough and you are left with some free time, I know that for me, that's a time where I struggle with, do I go get a snack? Do I comfort myself by putting a snack in my mouth? And I'm going to be very honest with you. The answer is a lot of the times is yes. That's the time that I should be abiding in him. So this is very practical and we need to be in tune with those subtleties. And I know I struggle with this, but thankfully we have a Lord who reminds us of these things and encourages us and guides us right back to the path and reminds us that we can rest in him, that we can come to him all who labor and are heavy laden. When we abide in him, we go to him for comfort. A part of abiding in him is craving his presence. And as we abide in him, I truly believe the greatest comfort comes from the promises he gives us in the word of God. John chapter 14, verse 1 says, not to let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And as we abide in him, I truly believe that the Lord is calling us to seek him in wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. And as we abide in him, I truly believe that the Lord is calling us to truly seek him for our satisfaction. And we're to seek him for our security. Psalm 105 verse 4 says, we are to seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. And I mentioned earlier that as we abide in him, I truly believe the Lord is calling us to rest in him. In Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, Jesus tells us to come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I do believe that this passage is telling us the only way to approach life that is pleasing to Christ is to immerse ourselves in him, abiding in him. And as we abide in him, his desires become ours. And as we live according to his purposes, he uses us for his glory. And we should be consumed with this process of abiding in him because we need him for every aspect of our lives. We need to receive from him um, what we need in our lives surrendered to him when we abide in him and we need him every hour. So the question is, are you abiding in him? For some of you, the answer is yes. And I want to say to you that you're encouraging your brothers and sisters and that the glory is his. I'm thankful that the Lord is using you to encourage all of us who are following Christ. For some of you, the answer is yes. And I would even say that this happens during perilous times. 
you are an example of blind fellowship of Christ, and that is a wonderful thing. What I would say to this is what a testimony. Um, this is where we really want to be, all of us. And by his grace, he's transforming each and every one of us to be there. We're reminded that our overwhelming sense of joy comes from him being within us, alongside us, and with the understanding and the hope that only he provides. And for some of you, you know him, you surrendered your life to him, you've been abiding in him, you've experienced abiding in him during perilous times, but something has gotten in the way. Perhaps something has happened in your life that you need the Lord to heal or, or, or intervene. So what I would say is allow the Lord to do that healing and to restore you. I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, all of you who are in the room with me right now know that the last couple of years have not been very easy. There have been some days that I am, I am here. There have been times that I have been there. Thankfully, the Lord's miraculous grace has demonstrated this mutual aspect of abiding in him. And I'm definitely thankful for that. And when I feel that there is no hope, he generously and graciously reminds me that he is my hope and that the process of abiding in him thus continues because of those reminders and I can focus back on him again. So perhaps you've been distracted by the cares of the world. Ask his forgiveness and return to him. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So allow him to provide you with his nourishment and remember that Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of, of living water flowing from deep within him. Remember that, our, that the Lord is one of restoration, hope, and grace. So if you don't know him, if you haven't at some point in your life realized that you, as a part of humanity, have a sin nature that you can't do anything about and you're in need of a savior, if you haven't yielded your life to him and placed your full trust and belief in him and in his death for, as an atonement for your sin, I want to take this moment to just encourage you to come to Christ. Surrender. Ask his forgiveness. Um, scripture says in several places that his salvation comes from repenting um, from our sins and believing in Christ's death on the cross for the atonement of your sin. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if this is you, you're in that place where you realize that you need a savior and you're ready to yield to him, please allow me to lead you in a prayer. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes. Father God, we thank you that you would um, give us this opportunity to learn of you, to learn from your word, and to worship you. Father God, there are some out there who don't know you. And for those who have come to that point where they realize there is nothing they can do outside of you to live eternally with you, and they're ready to surrender, I thank you for the opportunity to lead them in a prayer. And so, Father God, we come to you asking you to forgive. We're coming to you, Father God, for those who know that they need a Savior to confess that they're sinners and they need your forgiveness. And we ask for that forgiveness. Father God, we come to you at this moment in time and ask you to save. Father God, we ask you to regenerate and renew and to build us up, to make us more and more like your son and to start that process of transformation. We ask that you indwell with the Holy Spirit, Father God. We ask that you begin the transformation process and we ask that you change hearts and minds so that way they, um, those who are coming to you at this point in time will live for you, will abide in you, and will continue to focus on living a life that's completely surrendered to you. Father God, we thank you for this salvation. We just ask that you continue to grow um, as we embark on this new journey being saved by you. We thank you for this gift. 
in your son's name. Amen. And so Father God um, is a glorious and a wonderful God to all of us. And I would like to make the recommendation to you, abide in him. Those of you who know him, you know how good and great he is. You know what he can do for you. And you know what he has done for you. And those of you who are walking in faith and abiding in him, thank you for the encouragement you provide me, that you provide each and every one of your brothers and sisters. Because at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to honor and please him. Anybody out there that prayed that prayer, please uh, uh, reach out to us. Let us know that uh, you prayed that. We want to maybe lead you in your next steps in your new uh, Christian journey. And maybe send you a Bible, or if you're in the area, we want to invite you to Fresh Vision Church here at 4242 Arnold Pass Drive in El Paso, Texas. Again, thank you for watching this message. God bless you. Goodbye. Farewell.